and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God and welcome to the beginning of a brand new series entitled Men of Action. So Men of Action, uh, certainly here in the month of June, it is Father's Day coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, last month in the month of May, it was Mother's Day. And so we examined all month long a number of women uh, who were women of faith. And it was faith that was put into practice, faith in action. So certainly women needed both faith and action. And if we take a look at men of action, we're not saying, well, they don't need faith or they don't have faith. Uh, but we're going to be taking a look at some of the action steps or action thoughts that we can learn uh, from some of these well-known men in the Word of God. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. And while you are finding yourself there today, uh, let me just uh, open up with a little story I came across. Three golfers got struck by lightning and ended up at the pearly gates of heaven. So you can tell right away this is not a true story. But these three golfers then asked St. Peter if there was golf in heaven. St. Peter assured them that there truly was incredible golf in heaven, but there was just one rule. Don't hit a duck. You got it? Don't hit a duck. Sure enough, as they played, one of the guys hit a duck. So St. Peter approached uh, with what was considered a not-so-gorgeous woman and said, you're the one who hit a duck. He handcuffed this woman to the man, and uh, they were to be taken that way for all of eternity. Hmm. The other two listened and thought, and they continued to play, and eventually one of them hit a duck. So sure enough, St. Peter approached with another woman and handcuffed her to the one who had hit the duck, and they were that way for all of eternity. Now the last man continued to play, and one day St. Peter approached with a drop-dead gorgeous woman and handcuffed this beauty to the man. Elated, this final golfer said, Wow, I sure don't know what I did to deserve this. The woman turned to him and said, I hit a duck. You see, it's a funny story with a rather sad truth. The truth is, unfortunately in our culture, unfortunately in our society, we can tend to judge one another on the outside rather than on the inside. And we see that in so many different ways. Certainly in our last week or two, we've seen that in the George Floyd situation. It exposes the fact that there is, in fact, racism. It exposes the fact that men and women judge or prejudge one another, many times based on the color of skin, sometimes by age, sometimes by race, sometimes by sex, sometimes by financial wherewithal. And all of these different ways where individuals will judge one another. Instead of judging, instead of racism, there should be love for each and every individual. As each and every man and woman, boy and girl, red and yellow, black and white, rich or poor, you name it, everyone is precious in God's sight and ought to be precious in ours. And so God desires and God wants us to resist judging on externals. Even in the 
made-up case of our golfers this morning. So this morning, if you found your way to 1 Samuel chapter 16, we'll be in chapter 16 and 17, and we're going to be taking a look at David. And so we've got a, a handful of actions that we can learn from this man of action. A first thought or a first action for us this morning is this. We need to recognize God's anointing. Recognize God's anointing. Uh, the anointing of God, the, the hand upon each one, that, that plan and that purpose that God has for individuals, we've got to understand and recognize that. It's God who does the choosing, and it's God who does the using. And as we've seen through many different characters in the Word of God, and as we've seen through you and I, sometimes who God chooses to use and He reaches out and changes our hearts and our lives, it can be rather surprising. How many of you perhaps looking at your past, looking at maybe who you were before Christ, you would say, it's kind of surprising. Why would He love someone like me? And he does. And he, he loves and he reaches out with love and forgiveness. And then more than that, he desires to use you and to use me in his kingdom for his glory, for his purpose. How incredible is that? God desires to do that. And so we've got to take a look at and recognize this anointing of God, this plan or his hand upon us. He chooses and uses individuals in the word of God. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, it says that the Lord said to Samuel, and later in the verse, here's the instruction, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So he had the, the horn filled with oil. He was going to be pouring that over this son, indicating he would be that next king. So that, that physical act of pouring the oil, anointing him with oil, it was indicating God's choice, God's selection of this individual for his plan and his purpose. We've got to recognize God's anointing. So Samuel the prophet, he's coming to Jesse's family. It's a little bit like uh, maybe some of our modern-day mix of, uh, of reality shows, right? Take American Idol, add in some Survivor, maybe The Apprentice, uh, maybe a little dose of The Bachelor, right? Add them all, mix them all together, and it's kind of like Samuel going to Jesse's house, and he's going to anoint one of these sons to be the next king. So Samuel arrives. And the first son, with the name of Eliab, walks by. Samuel sees him, judges by the external, right? Judges by what he sees, and he thinks to himself, this is the one. But look at what God says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So the one that, that came by, that first one, Eliab, he seemed by viewpoint, by you know, looking at him, he seemed like this is the one who God would select to be king. And God said, no, 
So one by one, all of these sons pass by, seven sons parade past by uh, Samuel, and every single one of them, God says no. Samuel's thinking, this one looks good, or this one looks good. Surely it's this one. And every single time it's no, 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 no. And number seven, no. So now the prophet Samuel, he's a, he's a little bit challenged, right? He knows that God had said that he's going to anoint one of these sons to be king. And every single one he's seen, God said no. So he speaks and he speaks to Jesse. He says, do you have any other sons? I mean, is there anybody else here? His father says, well, yeah, I've got, I've got one more. And he's out in the fields. He's, he's out with the sheep. He's kind of watching them. He says, well, go ahead and find him. And so basically the, the word here when, when Jesse says, my youngest son, he's out in the fields taking care of the sheep. The word that he would use there in, in Hebrew when he says my youngest, it, in a sense, it, it carries that thought of the runt. How many of you, maybe you've, you've had a dog or a cat that had a litter? Litter of kittens or, or a litter of puppies, right? And, and they're often, uh, I, I'm not sure if it's every single time, but there seems to be the, what's called the runt of the litter, Right? And so maybe they, they don't look quite like the other ones, the, the colors or the markings or, or maybe the type of fur or uh, it, it just it's a little different from the rest. Uh, maybe it's a little scrawnier or a little smaller. And so visually it just doesn't quite line up. Now we've got shadow and uh, others of you have got some of shadow's siblings and, and there's one that, uh, that was probably referred to as, as that. In fact, uh, it's someone that Kim works with, and his name is Scraps. Kind of like, because he was the leftover, kind of that, that little runt of the litter. And how he looks and how he acts is very different from the rest of these other ones. Certainly much different from Shadow. And so, in a sense, that's kind of what the father is saying. Yeah, I've got one more. He's kind of the runt. He's kind of, he's the youngest. At this particular point, uh, most scholars would say he's, he's a teenager. 13, 14, 15, 16. So he's, he's young, probably not as impressive in stature as, as these brothers. And he says, yes, I've got one. And he brings him in. And much like... What we see here, there are a number of individuals who don't quite see, don't quite recognize God's hand or God's anointing on David. First of all, we see his father didn't. He kind of, in a sense, calls him the runt. He says, we've got one more who's out in the fields. But when he brings him to Samuel, Samuel sees him. And the scripture says that Samuel said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. God speaks to Samuel. Anoint him. This is the one. This is, this is the young man whom my hand is on. I'm choosing and I'm electing to use him. He might not be what everyone else looks at or thinks of, but this is my hand of anointing upon him. 
But his father didn't seem to recognize that. Now later on, his brothers went off to war. There was going to be this, this battle with the Philistines. And again, David was left behind as the youngest one, but he was sent uh, by his father to his brothers to go bring some supplies. And we see that his brothers didn't seem to recognize this anointing, this hand of God upon him, even after Samuel had anointed him. David shows up to his brothers, and, and this is where Goliath, the champion of, of the Philistines, is, is shouting murderous threats against the Israelites and the God of Israel. And he hears this, and, and he's kind of asking questions, and his brothers hear him asking questions, and they're basically saying, what are you doing? I mean, you, you're really not even qualified to tend those sheep that we left you with, much less, what are you doing here at the battle, and why are you asking questions about this Philistine? So his, his dad kind of overlooked him. His, his brothers, in a sense, overlook him. But he's, he's saying, what's going to be done for the one who faces this, this giant? And the people of Israel, they say, well, three things. You're going to get rich. The king's going to give you a bunch of money. The king's going to give you one of his daughters in marriage. And your family will have no taxes. Now, those are three pretty interesting uh, choices. And you don't have to pick one. You don't have to pick two. He says, you'll get all three. You'll be rich, you'll get a girl, and your family won't have taxes. Not sure which he might be the most excited about. But his, his dad doesn't really see the anointing in the hand of God. His brothers don't see the hand in the anointing of God. But David hears that this Goliath, this giant, is causing and speaking curses on God, the God of Israel. And he goes to the king and says, I will fight him. The king is King Saul, first king of Israel. And King Saul doesn't see. King Saul doesn't recognize the potential. He doesn't recognize the hand and the anointing of God. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 33, here's King Saul's summary. You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy. He has been a fighting man from his youth. So he's saying, listen, you're still a kid, you're still a teenager, you're, you're nowhere near your brothers, much less Goliath, this giant. So his dad, his brothers, King Saul, they all seem to overlook the hand of God, the anointing of God upon him. King Saul, he tries to give him his own armor, right? You remember the story? He, he tries to get him uh, to, to wear his armor and take the sword. David tries it on. And takes it off again. He says, I'm not comfortable. I'm not used to this. So remember what he took. The sling and five smooth stones. That's, that's what he had used as he was watching over his sheep. So what we see is his father, his brothers, King Saul. In fact, his enemy, Goliath doesn't seem to recognize the hand of God, the anointing of God upon this young man's life. 1 Samuel 17, 43, here's how Goliath answers him. Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Kind of an insult, don't you think? Goliath is this nine foot plus 
giant of a man with massive set of armor that was incredibly heavy. And here comes a teenage boy, right? And comes out and, and he says, you are coming against me? And none of these individuals are seeing or recognizing the anointing and the hand of God upon David. Probably was rather frustrating, don't you think? Here he is as a teenager. He was anointed. The flask of oil was poured over his head. But his father didn't seem to recognize. His brothers didn't seem to recognize. The king didn't seem to recognize. Goliath, no one seemed to recognize God's hand upon him. But the encouragement is this. God can choose and God can use whom he desires. It might not be uh, what is most uh, likely in the eyes of the world, right? Sometimes you look at individuals and, and the thought is, wow, this person's got it all together. They may or may not. Our opinions visually, sometimes, uh, unfortunately, we can have thoughts about one another. Maybe some people have that about you. Well, how or why would God choose to use this one? I mean, doesn't he know what their past was like? And God's using them to, uh, to preach or to teach or to share God's word. What might be unlikely in the eyes of the world, God sees and says, I've sent my son Jesus Christ for you. I'm desiring to reach out to you, to clean, to cleanse, to forgive, give you a brand new start, and then use you to reach other people for me. God can choose and God can use but let us seek to understand and recognize the anointing of God. Maybe, maybe your thought is, maybe some people's thought is, I'm too young. That could have been David's thought. He was a, a teenager, and certainly he did not have the experience that his brothers had or the king had or some of these other fighting men had. And yet God chose the teenage boy, the stick, if you would, to go against the nine-foot-plus giant called Goliath. So some might say they're too young, but God can choose to use you. Some of you might be on the flip side and you say, I'm certainly not too young, but maybe you would refer to yourself as too old. None of you in here because you're, you're all super, super young. But there might be some people who think of themselves as young. Or think of themselves as too old. And they might say, I'm not sure that I can do what I used to do. And that might be true. Maybe you can't do the same things. But does that mean that God can't use you? No. God can still use you in some mighty and encouraging ways. Remember Abraham and Sarah in the word of God. 190 years old and somehow God used them to have a baby. So God can choose to use the young. God can choose to use those who might consider themselves old. Or you might say, man, life is just too hard. I've been through too much. How can God use me? Think back to Joseph, right? Think of all that Joseph went through in the Old Testament, sold by his brothers into slavery. He was in the pit. Then he was sold into slavery went to Potiphar's house, God raised him up, he was falsely accused, sent into prison, interpreted dreams, then was brought back to the palace. God used him to interpret dreams and ultimately brought him to number two in command. 
That's a pretty hard and challenging life. And yet we say, God used him. God might desire to use you in the midst of whatever your lifespan and your life story has been. Maybe some will look and say, my past has been too sinful. Yet we see God used a prostitute by the name of Rahab in the book of Joshua. God had used many different men and women throughout all of Scripture who were not necessarily squeaky clean. In fact, King David, that we're studying today, we're, we're not looking at all of his life, but we know that later on David failed and sinned miserably. And in the midst of that, God did offer forgiveness and continued to use him. So in the midst of sin, in the, in the midst of old or young, in the midst of life being hard, in the midst of being too scared. I've preached on before, one of my favorite biblical characters is Gideon. The scaredy cat who is threshing wheat in a wine press and the angel of the Lord shows up to him and says what? Greetings, mighty warrior. God can use someone who's scared. God can use someone who's had a tough life. God can use someone who's young. God can use someone who's old. It's God's hand, God's choice, God's anointing. Know that God can use you. Many times God shows up in the unlikeliest of places. Sometimes calls the most unlikeliest of individuals and he reaches out to them in love. He reaches out to them in forgiveness. Reaches out to them through his son, Jesus Christ. And then uses us in some pretty incredible missions and plans for him. So part of the lessons, part of this action verb, if you would, from the life of David is let's recognize God's Anointing, recognize God's plan and purpose, God's hand upon your life, no matter what your past has been like, no matter what you look like, no matter what's been inside of you, God can cleanse and forgive and change and transform and use you for his honor and for his glory. There's a second action, I think, from the life of David, and that's this. Let us seek God's opportunities. Seek God's opportunities. Now, David was anointed. Samuel took that, that flask of oil and, and poured it over his head and, and anointed him as the next king of Israel. That was as the teenager, remember? 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. But David was not immediately king. Remember that. He was anointed to be the next king, but he was not immediately king. When David conquered Goliath, he was not king. After he conquered Goliath, he was still not king. It took him about until the age of 30 to be king. <laughs> Challenging, right? To be anointed, to, to be Hold of God, the man of God, you're going to be the next king. And now you've got to wait about another length of time. If you're a 15-year-old, you're waiting another 15 years until that happened. 
And this, this is not as if he's king in training and he's got this easy life. About 10 of those years, King Saul is chasing and hunting him down to kill him. King Saul was afraid, maybe nervous, maybe unsure of himself. And he's trying to take David out. Probably a challenge for David. David's doing a lot of menial tasks. He's still tending sheep for his, his daddy. And in fact, he was then brought to King Saul to play his harp. The Bible says that different times an evil spirit would overtake him, and he, he wanted someone to soothe him with music, and so David was brought. Here's the next king. God had anointed him as, as the next king, and what does his resume look like so far? Hanging out in the fields with sheep, playing with a slingshot, maybe making up some songs, and playing his harp for the king. Not exactly a world-changing resume, but there were opportunities all along the way that God provided, and he simply took advantage of that. So he comes to face Goliath, that nine-foot-plus gentleman with armor weighing 125 pounds. The, the javelin point itself was 15 pounds. And again, as he was sent to his brothers, he hears the taunts, he volunteers, he comes up, and tells King Saul, I'll go and fight him. And the hand of God rested upon him and, and guided him in that slingshot to defeat Goliath. David knew that God was on his side. David knew you don't go against God and call out God. David was focused on God as opposed to all the questions and the what ifs. Is it a coincidence that as a part of his younger days, he spent a lot of time in the fields with this slingshot and some rocks? Part of what David said is, when I was out in the fields and a lion or a bear came, with God's help, I was able to handle this adversary. And this, this giant will be handled just the same. God was using some of the past opportunities that David had and using them in this process. God was preparing him even in, in those years when it seemed like nothing was happening. Something was happening. Many people thought Goliath was too big to be defeated. And yet David saw him and said, with God's help, there's no way he can't be defeated. He's too big to miss, as many would say. David had a faith in God instead of fear. What's guiding you? Your faith or fear? David was focused on God, the opportunities that God was bringing all along the way. He didn't necessarily know that this was training ground to be a king. And yet God was using all of those opportunities of the past and bringing them for such a time as this. You and I, we don't like going through difficult seasons, do we? I mean, raise your hand if you would rather have difficulty instead of easy street. Zero hands. 
We don't prefer difficulty. And yet, in the midst of difficulty, God can use it. God can enable us to grow even through it, through some of those challenges, through some of those heartaches, through some of those difficulties. We would prefer not to learn that way. But many of those are opportunities that God allows. Doesn't mean God always places them, but God can allow them and use them to train and equip and develop us for the future. So we would prefer not to, to grow through the midst of difficulties and hardships and challenges, and yet sometimes God allows that into our path. So let's not, let's not waste those challenges or waste those difficulties, but seek the opportunities of God. Maybe you can look back to your past and you say, this hardship, this sorrow, this difficulty, God was able to take this and strengthen and stretch and use me and it helps me even to this day. Or maybe some of those things that you faced, you're now able to help and strengthen somebody else. You know what they're going through. You're able to comfort, able uh, to provide peace and strength. So uh, seek the opportunities of God. Be willing to do whatever, whenever. Thirdly, not only are we to recognize God's anointing and seek God's opportunity, but we're to trust God's timing. Trust God's timing. We, we like to give God our, our problems and then give him a fix by date. Okay, God, here's what I'm going through. So if you can have this all taken care of by three o'clock tomorrow, that'd be great. You know, today at three is even better. In fact, if I wouldn't have had to go through this at all, that'd be even better yet, God. But, you know, here you go. We want things done our way right away. But the timing of God. David, as the teenage boy, waited years and years and years until he was anointed king. On the run from King Saul, trying to stay alive, but he was trusting in the timing of God. Yes, he was anointed with the oil as a teenager, but that didn't mean that he would waltz into the, the kingdom of King Saul and say, hey, I'm here, hit the road, Jack. He had to wait. He had to trust in the timing of God. He trusted God. He focused on the mission, the task that God had in front of him. We're, we're tempted to kind of take our eye off the ball. That's one of those sports terms, right? If you take your eye off the ball and you're looking downfield for the receiver, wide receiver, instead of catching the football, looks downfield where he's wanting to go, and he doesn't look at the ball that's coming his way and he drops it. Or the baseball player at the plate takes the eye off the ball looking at something else. Sometimes... We do the same thing. We want to look down the road, weeks, months, years, and we don't look at what God has placed into our lives for today. We want to plan the future and, and neglect the opportunities that God places in front of us. Someone wrote this, The most radical thing you can do is the very next thing God tells you to do. What's that very next thing God is speaking to you? We read through the word of God and, and, and we see God speaks this and we say, boy, that would be great to develop that. Um, boy, I sure, I sure hope someone reads this verse because they really need it. What is God speaking to us 
What's the, the next thing he wants to develop in our lives? For some, maybe it's giving. For some, maybe it's serving. For some, maybe it's going. For some, maybe it's staying. For some, maybe it's listening. For some, maybe it's speaking. God has different tasks that he is wanting us to do and to get involved in. And we're saying, yeah, I don't know that I want that. What else do you have for me, God? And we're looking down the road at what we want God for us to do. And sometimes we're not taking advantage of and just stepping out into the tasks that God has for us. God's timing, as no doubt you've seen in your life, is rarely the same as our timing. And it's difficult to wait. I mean, sometimes he's early. A lot of times we think he's late or he's not doing anything. But know that God's working. Psalm 40, we read this, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. He said, I waited patiently. Oh, we, we don't wait very well. And particularly in this, this last season of COVID-19, seems like we've been doing a lot of waiting, right? We're waiting for things to open back up. So first of all, we're waiting, you know, we, we started getting the shaggy haircut. And, and, and then that opened back up, and so then you get your hair cut. Most of us. Our dog Shadow has his appointment on Tuesday. He's hot and shaggy, and he's still been waiting. But the challenge is we wait for that, or we wait for a restaurant, or we wait for business to, to get back. We wait, we wait, we wait. We've had nearly three months, nearly three months until we've had this, right? It's a challenge in this waiting game, and we, we do the same. We struggle when it comes to God's plan. We're either trying to jump ahead, trying to, you know, jump ahead, or, or else we're lagging behind. The challenge is, are we trusting God's plan? David was anointed as king. Maybe he had thought about, if I just get rid of King Saul, now it's my time. That wasn't what his thought. In fact, we see in Scripture multiple times he had opportunity to take out King Saul who was trying to take his life. How incredible is that? The king is trying to take your life. You have an opportunity to get rid of him before he gets rid of you. And David says, no, I won't do it. I'm not going to raise my hand against God's anointed. I'm not going to, to do anything that jeopardizes the timing of God. I've been anointed king, and in God's timing, that's what it's going to be. We've got to trust God's timing and wait no matter what. So how do we know when it's God's timing? Well, here's, here's a handful of ways that maybe something is or isn't God's timing. If you've got to force your way to make it happen, it probably isn't God's timing. If you've got to... Help God out to make it happen. It probably isn't God's timing. 
I see some smiles. I'm smiling on the inside. I've done it too, right? Surely God's leading this way, so let me just help God out. I'm going to do this. What do you think, God? It's like he just goes, oh. I mean, if you've got to help God out to make it happen, it probably isn't his timing. If you've got to destroy something to get it, it's probably not God's timing. If a council of wise friends warns you, it's probably not God's timing. If the council of unwise friends encourages you, it's probably not God's timing. If the council of wise friends encourage you, it might be God's timing. And if it comes to you, especially as a result of prolonged prayer, it probably is God's timing. Now, that's not extremely definitive. But the main point is we are to trust in the timing of God. Now, David, there was a lot of things in David's life. We're, we're just kind of looking at some of the earlier portions here. But he gives us a handful of actions, not just for men, but he's a man, a man of action. But a handful of actions for you and I to follow. Are we ready to recognize God's anointing, knowing that he chooses who he uses? Are we ready to seek God's opportunities, to be willing to do whatever, whenever? And are we willing to trust God's timing, to wait no matter what? I trust that we will. 